Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. A moment ago, you heard Amanda mention the Red Letter Challenge. And if you have not heard what that's about, the Red Letters refer to the various English versions of the Bible where in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the words of Jesus are printed in red so that they pop off of the page or the screen if you read on an app like I do. And it's to highlight his words. And the idea of the Red Letter Challenge for us is to spend the 40 days of Lent hearing from Jesus every day and then following after him, putting his teaching, putting his words into practice. And so each day there is a tangible, practical challenge to actually live out the words that we read from Jesus. And so I want to invite you to consider being a part of that challenge, that journey with us. You can, it starts with, with a book. There's a book that gives us the readings and the challenges every day for 40 days, and there's a youth and adult version. There's a Spanish version, if that fits better for you. There's a kid's version, so the whole family can participate in the challenge, and we have those books for you. They're $20. They're in the Welcome Center. You can pick it up. If you're worshiping with us online, you can go to pctr.org slash red letter, and you can order a book. You can pay for it, and then you can arrange to pick it up during the week whenever it makes more sense for you. But I want you to hear this morning, if the cost is the reason you will not participate, you will not say yes because the cost of the book is too much, please don't worry about it. We just want to give you one of the books. We want to make sure anybody who wants to say yes to Jesus in this 40 days has that opportunity. And so you can just go to the Welcome Center. You can let them know, hey, I want to do this. I want to get a book. It's just not working right now. And nobody's going to look at you sideways. They're going to give you a book and they're going to say, welcome to the challenge. We're going to do this together. Okay, or we can talk, you can connect through the office if that's more comfortable. We just want everyone to be able to participate. Well, also through this season, though, it's not just about the book. There are small groups happening. There's groups gathering for adults many days at different times throughout the week, even on Zoom, if that's what makes more sense for you. There's family groups, so on Friday and Saturday, Saturday evening and Saturday morning, and so parents can meet at the same time their kids are, who are also going to be digging in and talking about the words of Jesus and how to participate in the Red Letter Challenge, and so we want to encourage you to consider being a part of one of those groups, even if you've never done that before. Even if it sounds awful to you, it's just six weeks. Give it a shot. Maybe you'll find, because it is a profound and amazing thing to learn with and from other people who are being intentional about seeking Jesus' face together. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of this challenge with us, because I believe God's going to move in me and in us in some powerful ways. This whole challenge starts next weekend with our sermons, and the first day of reading will be Monday, March 7th, so you can still jump in with us. And so what that means is today we have a one-week sermon series. It's a series of one. It'll set us up for the Red Letter Challenge for next week, and just calling it today, I like to move it. And the idea with today's message is that we need to move in our lives in order to find thriving real life. We need to move in order to experience the life God wants for us. We can't just stay where we are. 
We have to move. Even if you're in a good place, you need to move. God may be saying today you need to move. I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about Everett, our two-year-old, and he has basically two, two speeds, asleep and running, and as a result, he is falling all the time. And of course, when he falls, he gets a boo-boo, and when he gets a boo-boo, what does he want? He wants a kiss, right? And it's, it's adorable, especially when it's like his cute little finger, and then when it's like his feet and his toes, and you're like, I don't know if I want to kiss those. Um, and so I've been trying to encourage, you know, maybe to mix it up a little bit and try, you know, the old brush it off thing, you know, brush it off, and he is not having any of it. No, kiss. I was like, well, why don't you kiss it? Mm-mm, no, daddy kiss. It's like, okay, okay, and that's, it's good. I mean, it's beautiful. He's two, and that's fantastic. But there's a time coming when he'll need to move on from mommy and daddy kisses. You know, and you may just think I'm terrible for even thinking about it because he's two. And I'm not trying to hurry it. But if he's 15 and gets a boo-boo and still wants daddy kisses, there's going to be a bit of a problem. It's not going to be nearly as adorable, right? <laughs> we know there's a point in his life where he'll need to move on. It may be good now, but he'll need to move in order to mature, in order to come into the fullness of life that God has for him. And the same, I think, is true for us. And it may be true for you today. You may need to move from where you are in order to move into the place God has for you. And so let's jump in together to God's word. We're going we're gonna to look at this through the lens of Exodus chapter 13. And you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. Let's listen for God speaking to us this morning. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that you knew would be carved out of our lives, of our schedule in this moment, we just acknowledge we need to hear from you. We need to hear words of truth. We need to hear words of conviction. We need to hear words of encouragement. We need to hear words that we can have confidence come from you so that we can take the next steps as you would lead us. It's in Jesus' name that we trust and we pray. Amen. So a little bit of background on this passage, just in case you're not familiar with the story. We don't want to take that for granted. So the people in this story, the the Hebrew people, they have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And after those 400 years, they are crying out to God because conditions had gotten horrible, and God heard their cries for mercy, and he sent his servant Moses into Egypt to bring his people out, to set them free, and to take them into what's called the promised land, 
literally the land that God had promised to their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham, over 600 years earlier. And he was going to take them and establish them in that land as a people and as a nation. So God sends Abraham into Egypt, and through these incredible displays of power, finally, Pharaoh relents. And we heard in the first verse we read this morning that he let the people go. That's where we jump in. The people are finally free from Egypt's grip, finally free from slavery. They've been rescued. They've been liberated. They've been saved. And if you keep reading beyond this part of the story, though, you know it's not nearly the end. There's so much more. God didn't just want to save them from slavery. He had plans for them. He had plans to establish them as a nation, to give them this land of bounty and abundance, to protect them, to provide for them, where they would be his people and he would be their God. He's talking about a relationship with him. He was going to go on. He wanted to reveal his will and his character to them to to show them what he's really like and then give them the law so that by following the law, they could become more like him. God didn't just give the law because he likes giving rules. It's because it's based on his character. And when we follow it, when they follow it, when we follow it, we become more like him. And through their obedience, they were going to ultimately show the world who God is, what he's really like so that the world could honor him. See, God had plans for his people beyond slavery, but to get there, they had to move. They couldn't just stay where they were. I mean, imagine if you are reading this story or you hear this story, they've been brought out of slavery in Egypt, they go a few miles outside of Egypt, and they decide to stop moving. Set up camp right there. How do you think that would go? I mean, they may be free, but to what end? They'd be free, but they would have no identity, no land, no security, no future, no purpose, no meaning, no foundation. They'd have freedom, but so what? God wanted them to give, wanted to give them so much more, but to experience the more, they had to move as God moved. And this, this Exodus story, that's what this is called, this story is really a major, it's the paradigm of the Old Testament. It's the story of God claiming and establishing this people. But it's also a story that is so relevant. We can look back on it and we can say, this is, this is our story. Paul, many, many, many years later, as he was writing letters that have become part of our New Testament, had this Exodus story in his mind as he explained over and over again what Jesus accomplished for us. In Romans 6 in particular, he describes our relationship as people to sin. He says, whatever it is that we obey, whatever desire we give into, whatever it is that we constantly find ourselves giving our loyalty, our devotion, our affection, those are the things that we're enslaved to. So it may be simply our self-interest and our self-desire, just ourselves. It may be patterns of destructive behavior and words and thoughts that we can't seem to undo the times in our lives where we continue to do what we don't want to do or don't do the things we want to do even though we know that it's what's best for us and for those around us. See, Paul is describing our captivity, our bondage to sin, but then he goes on to tell us what Jesus has done, that Jesus took on our slavery, took on our captivity and our bondage, that literally he was bound, right? He was arrested, 
He was beaten. He was captive. He was bound to a cross with nails in his hands and in his feet. All of this so that he could become sin. He could become that. He could take on that which enslaves us, ensnares us, holds us captive, and it could be broken on that cross in his body. It's so that we could be set free. See, we've been brought out of slavery. We've been brought out of Egypt. We've been set free. And yet, I'm going to say for some of us, that's where we stop. We become a Christian, and that's it. I'm good. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. I'll take it from there. And this is kind of like saying, okay, we've been set free from Egypt. Go a few miles outside of town and just take a squat and say, yep, I'm good. There's so much more for us. God has so much more for you than just getting into heaven. And I say it that way on purpose because getting into heaven is an amazing and glorious promise and yet just getting into heaven is not what God intends. There is so much more to life eternal because it's already begun. It doesn't start when you get there. It starts now. In that same chapter, Romans 6, in verse 22, Paul said this. He said, but now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Same, we've been set free from sin. To become slaves of God, the benefit is not just freedom. The benefit of our freedom is that it leads to something else. It leads to holiness. It leads to our transformation, to becoming more like Jesus to your life and my life being turned inside out so that everything, all the sin and the ways of living that haven't been working can be flushed out and the new ways, the new life of Jesus can be put into place within us because eternal life is not just about quantity of life, it's about quality of life. A quality of life that is abundant and full and beautiful and rich, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and hope that is secure, that there is a future for you, that you can be called his daughter or his son, that he can be your God and you will be his precious child. See, God wants so much more for you than freedom. Freedom's amazing. But it was, and it was the necessary first step to come out of Egypt. But it was only the first step. There were so many more steps along the way, but they had to move in order to live into them. And this passage is about the beginnings of their movement. Did you notice that, the, that as they began to move, there's this really kind of odd thing that God leads them out, but he didn't take them on the shortest route. I don't know about you, that kind of bothers me. Like I'm always looking for the shortest, shortest way, fastest way to get from here to there. So I dial it up in my GPS, it gives three options. Tolls required, fastest route, yep, I'll take it. Oh, it only saves me a minute? Yep, still going to take it. Oh, you want to reroute me and it'll save me 38 seconds? Yes, I will take that as well. Or I'm always looking for the shortest, fastest way to get from here to there. I think so many of us do. And so I look at this passage and I think, yeah, come on, get them out of, the, out of slavery. Take them into the promised land. Take them the fastest way you can get them there. And God's like, no. No, because the shortest route is not always the best route. And the easiest route is not always the best route. What we think is the shortest and the easiest route is often full of all sorts of problems that we can't even foresee. 
You know, it may make sense to us to try to take the shortcuts, but the shortcuts get us into trouble, don't they? About 10 days ago, I made the mistake of trying to get gas at Costco. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, well, then you're missing out on the savings. But I'll tell you what, you're saving hours of your life. So there is a trade-off here. Because you pull up and the line to, the, to the, all the gas pumps is like overflowing the whole parking lot. And on one side, it's going out into the main road. And the other side, it's backed up into the parking lot. And so, you know, I'm waiting in line. And I finally see, and I'm like, ooh, look. I'm looking to the middle. And I see in the middle pumps. Nobody wants to try to get to the middle. And so they're always taking the outside. And I'm like, there's a short line in the middle. So I start squeezing my truck in between all these cars. And I get to this point, And people, I can see them. They're looking in their mirrors. And they're getting nervous. At one point, somebody's honking at me. And I'm like, no, it's going to be fine. And I squeeze between them finally. And I pull up into the line and I'm like, yes, winning. And then I realized that there's only one of the two pumps in that line working. And it adds over 10 minutes of wait time. Because of course, I'm keeping score with the person that I was behind before. The shortcuts don't always work out, do they? They're not always the best for us, and I know some of us have been trying shortcuts for years. Shortcuts to find peace, shortcuts to find security, shortcuts to find identity, shortcuts to ease our discomfort or our frustration, shortcuts to relationship reconciliation, shortcuts of avoiding conflict, shortcuts of all kinds, and the short route is not always the best route. Got to say, maybe it's time to take the long route. Because he knew for these people that on the shorter route, if they faced conflict with the Philistines and the shortest route was right through the Philistines' land, he knew that if he faced, they faced war with the Philistines, not only would they, would they give up on, on this freedom, not only would they give up on the vision of life that God had for them, they would actually go back to Egypt, go back to bondage. And I'm wondering this morning, have your shortcuts led you back to bondage? back into the same places of slavery and captivity you were in before. So maybe God knows. Maybe he knows what he's doing when he leads us on the longer road, the, the desert road as it's called in this passage. The road is, that is not convenient or easy, but the road that when we follow it leads to something more profound something that they experienced in this passage as the very presence of God with them. That's what the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire are all about. And just picture it. Can you imagine this skyscraper of cloud right before you during the day and then the sun starts to go down and as, as the sun dips down and it gets darker, it starts to light up with fire. I mean, it must have been fantastic. And clouds and fire throughout the scripture often mark the presence of God. It's a tangible reminder to the people that that on this road, I am with you. I am leading you. And when they follow him on this road, they get to know that he is the God that will continue to show up for them over and over and over again. See, right after what we just read is the part of the story that is familiar to most everybody. It's the part of the story where God parts the waters of the Red Sea as the Egyptian army that changed their mind and wanted to come take them captive was pressing in from behind and there was nowhere else to go. See, and then God wipes out the enemy, leads them to safety and security. They never would have seen that if they took the short way. 
They never would have seen that the God who promised to be their God, that they would be his people, that they could trust them. They would never have seen how trustworthy he is if they took the short road. And the the presence of God, not just with them, but leading them. And what an incredible gift. What a gift. Because what that means is they didn't have to figure out the way through the desert, which is good because they didn't know where they were going. They had been slaves for 400 years, not like they've been wandering around through the desert a whole lot. And so God is, is saying, I will lead you, I will guide you. And when the crisis came, when they were stuck between the sea and the army, God, they didn't have to find the way, they didn't have to fight the fight, they didn't have to overcome on their own power, their own bravery, their own creativity, their own strength, which meant, is that not often how we live? We face the crises, the uncertainties on our own power, our own strength, our own creativity. But God is saying, come on, follow me, and I will lead you through. But they still had to move, didn't they? Because the pillar would move. And it would move, if you noticed in the passage, not at times that were always that convenient. Because it was a pillar of cloud by day, but a pillar of fire at night. So that it said they could travel by day or by night. So what that means is, When the pillar moves, we move. And so at two in the morning, when the fire starts moving, hey, everybody get up. It's time to go. Not exactly the most convenient time. But see, God's going to lead us in ways and times that may not be very convenient, in ways that may not even make sense to us when we lay out the list of pros and cons. But if the pillar moves, if the presence of God moves, will we follow? Because if the pillar leaves and we don't follow, there's no guarantee it's coming back. And if we want to go to the promised land, to the life of abundance and blessing and security and identity and joy that's on the other side of freedom, then we've got to move as he moves, as he leads, as he prompts. So what might moving look like for you this morning? I mean, how might God be saying, hey, it's time to move because I have more for you. Freedom's great, but abundance and blessing are even better. Freedom's great, but transformation of your character is more enduring. Freedom's great, but foundations for your identity and security that are unshakable will last forever. So what does moving look like? Moving, I think it might most fundamentally look like relinquishing control. It, it, It might look like deciding that you know what, I don't actually know the best road to take. Guys, it, that means we might have to ask for directions. And it might look like, God, where you want me to go, if you want me to physically go across the globe, then okay, I'll go. If you want me to, to physically stay right where I am, but you want me to make a deeper commitment to change the patterns of how I live so that I can become a greater blessing to other people in my life and not so focused on me, okay. Moving may be saying that, you know what, I no longer am going to hold on so tightly to every question about my future, about my security, about my job, that I'm going to give up the control over my finances. I'm going to give up control over my sexual ethics as if, you know, it's just up to me to decide. I'm going to move from this place of individualism and isolation to sharing life and community and relationship. 
Maybe it looks like no longer having a death grip on, on marital status or on what your kids are going to become or your grandkids are going to become. Maybe it's no longer treating our lives as if we are God say, instead saying, all right, I, wanna, I want you to lay out the road for me. I want to move, but I want to move only on the road that you decide for me because the road that you will lead me on is the road that will lead to genuine and authentic security and identity, a place of foundations, of hope, and a future. Not going to trust in myself so much, but trust in the God who made me, the God who knows what's best for me, and the God who even laid his life down for me in Jesus Christ. Moving might look like shifting our priorities. You know, it may not, it's definitely not just a physical move we're talking about. It, there might be some stuff that needs to move in our heart and in our soul. Changing the things that we value most every day. Maybe moving for you looks like being a part of this red letter challenge of saying yes to Jesus every day for 40 days, not just when we're here, but every moment. Even when it's inconvenient, even in the middle of the night, even in the midst of the week, even when we're not feeling as well as we would like to be feeling, even with the people who are most inconvenient, because I want to ask you to point fingers or make a list, but you've got inconvenient people in your life. Bosses, in-laws, immediate family, neighbors that you just can't get along with. And moving might look like saying, okay, I'm going to take a step toward them instead of away from them. A step toward loving them as Jesus has loved me. Maybe it's jumping into this red letter challenge with both feet, joining a small group even though you've never been in a group before and maybe even think it's kind of dumb, you don't really need it, and it sounds a little bit vulnerable. Maybe moving at this point for you Looks like moving out of two years now of disorientation and fear from a pandemic. Maybe it looks like moving out of two years that have created different sets of priorities, habits, and routines that need to be undone because moving is saying, God, it's time, and maybe God is saying it's time to move. Maybe it's to take a step that seems uncomfortable, that seems like taking a risk, time to say yes to Jesus, to become a blessing to others because Jesus is saying, this is how we're moving. And it must have been amazing to have these pillars leading them. It must have been awesome. And often when we read the Bible, I mean, it's tempting to just kind of look at it and go, man, if I had that kind of thing, you know I'd be there. I'd have faith, I'd be strong, I'd do it. Of course, what we find in the scripture over and over again is that the people don't. Somehow I'm better than them, probably not. And it might have been amazing to have the pillar, but there's something even more amazing that we hear, because in John chapter 14, Jesus is gathered with the disciples, his, his closest friends. And it was the night before he was going to be crucified, and he knew he was going to die. He knew he'd be leaving them. And he says, but he says to them this crazy thing, I've got to go. I have to leave you. Because if I leave you, something even better is going to happen. Because if I leave you and I go to the Father, then I can send another advocate to you. I can send to you the Holy Spirit, my spirit, who won't just be a pillar of cloud and fire in front of you, but will be my very spirit, my presence within you. 
so that wherever you go, whatever road you're on, you will have the guiding presence of God within you, the fire leading you. And I wonder this morning if you sense some of that fire, the fire of God saying, come on, it's time to move because I have more for you. You've been in a good spot, but it's time to move on. I want more for you. I want to give you blessing and abundance, passion and joy and security and meaning and hope and love and foundations. I want you to live in community in a way that you maybe never have experienced before. I want you to move. But are we listening? As the fire burns within, are you going to say yes and move? Say yes so that the life he wants for you can be yours because there's so much more on the other side of freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for freedom. We don't want to disparage that the freedom that you've given us cost us the life of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for his willing sacrifice, for your profound love for us that would take on our sin and our slavery. And Lord, this morning, I do believe that there, you have said there's more though, more that you wanna give us, more you wanna lead us into, more that you wanna do through us as a people. And so I thank you for your spirit, the, your very presence dwelling with us as, as the fire, your fire, to lead us into all truth, to guide our steps, to give us a confidence and a reassurance that you are with us. Give us discerning hearts and minds to know how to move. May the fire burn hot so that we can have no doubt. May you give us the courage and the faith to say yes, to take the next step, and to then see what you're going to do in us and through us to lead us to life, life eternal, life that is full. It's in Jesus' name that we trust and we pray. Amen.